What's cracking, everybody? Welcome to the Cat and Cloud podcast. This episode is, God, it gets me juiced. Jared and I sit down and have a chat with Alex Benayan, author of The Third Door. You've probably heard us talk about The Third Door at length on the podcast. I've talked about it a bunch on my YouTube channel. It's the book that I've recommended above all others recently. It's, I, 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 it's my favorite book right now. I'm just going to go ahead and say it. Alex set out on this journey to figure out how the world's most successful people got their start before anybody knew who they were, before anybody cared about their ideas, that zero to hero situation. But his journey ended up being so much more than that. And this book really inspired me to rethink my life, rethink about what I thought was possible, rethink what I could be, what impact I could have. And it is a really special moment to get to sit down with him, meet him, and just chat with him about this journey. Now, pick up the book. You have to buy the book. And you'll see on the cover of the book, it says, The Wild Quest to Uncover How the World's Most Successful People Launch Their Careers. I think that is selling the book short. If you want your eyes open to just complete and insane possibility and some of the most wild stories ever and you just want to charge you just want to charge down fucking life's little rabbit hole and own it you need to pick up the third door that that is all i can say without getting into it alex is as amazing as you think he would be in person he's just a genuine humble really good guy to be around and i was really honored that jared and myself got to chat with him so without further ado here is alex benayan author of the third door. The Cat and Cloud Coffee Podcast is sponsored by Steeped Coffee. Steeped Coffee is a new brewing method that combines specialty craft coffee into a single serving bag. You don't need a machine. You don't have to make a mess. All you have to do is add hot water wherever you go. Each steep pack is individually sealed. It's nitrogen flush, so it stays fresh. And it's got this special full immersion filter. And the filter is ultrasonic sealed, which means it's sealed together with no glue or no staples. So there's no weird stuff floating around in your coffee. Steeped is a benefit B Corp. They ethically source all their coffee. Their packaging is fully compostable and they believe that business should be done without compromise. You can get your hands on Steeped Coffee Packs at steepedcoffee.com. That's S-T-E-E-P-E-D coffee.com. Asking your local retail stores to start carrying Steeped or having your favorite roastery reach out and kind of get in touch. If you're in Santa Cruz, come on by any of the Cat and Cloud locations. We have it there for you. Basically, they're just doing their best to change the coffee industry, make your life more convenient with their pre-portioned, pre-ground innovation. So tell all your friends. Okay, first of all, I just want to get this out of the way. Like, your book is insane and it changed my life and it changed the way I think about stuff. And... It starts in this almost quintessential kind of way where you're, you know, you're laying on your bed at college, you're staring up at this poster and you're thinking like, what, like, what the fuck am I even doing here? Like, what's going on? And I think that's a feeling that a lot of people can resonate with. Mm -hmm. It's something that I certainly can resonate with. But the most fantastic thing about the book to me is that every step of the way, you're kind of getting beat up, punched in the face, <laughs> slammed on the ground, and then you come back and just to just to encapsulate how I feel so everyone knows where I stand about this is you made me feel like I was a kid again mm. and having that feeling of where anything's possible and like whatever box society wants to put you in yeah. or whatever box you want to put yourself in none of those things matter because the world is like an open book and mm. I hadn't felt like that for a long time and wow. there's like like our life 
is pretty rad. Like we own our own company. We have a lot of autonomy. We get to travel and meet cool people. So that was just like a really powerful thing. But the first thing that I want to talk to you about, and you mentioned it a little bit downstairs, was you're having dinner with your mom mm-hmm. tonight. And one of the craziest things I, in the... I don't know where this is going. <laughs> yeah, it's, just, it's not a scary place. Trust. When everybody out there needs to read the book, first of all. But when you write in the book about you're telling your mom that you're going to go to Europe with Elliot. Oh, God. And I read that whole yeah. page, and I swear to God, I was like... This is my mom. Yeah, it's our upbringing. Right here. Like, I can resonate so much with that. So what did it feel like to have this pull in these two different directions? You've got this mission pulling you on one end, and then your mom, but not just your mom, your your whole family life pulling on the other end. What was that process like in your mind? You know, in your question is sort of the answer where, there was just so much tension. Because you guys know the context, right? Going on this, you know, journey wasn't just a side project for me. It was my biggest dream in life. Mm. And the idea was, you know, I was 18 years old and I wanted to go track down the world's most successful people to figure out when they were just starting out how they did it. And it really grew into this larger mission, right? Yeah. Where I believed that you know, the heart of the mission was I believe that if all these people came together, you know, not for business, not to promote anything, but really just to share their best wisdom, young people could do so much more. And, you know, I set off on this journey and about, you know, a year in, you know, let me get to the context later of the prices, right? And all that stuff. Right. But there's something about, you know, when you're getting beat up and beat up and beat up and you finally see that open door, but then you find out in order to walk through it, you have to, you know, break the heart of someone you love. Mm. I was talking about this with someone the other day. Big decisions aren't the challenge. It's hard decisions. And the difference, right, a big decision might be, I'm going to quit my job and start my dream, you know, cafe because so-and-so gave me a million-dollar investment. That's a big decision. It's not a hard decision. You have the investment. You have the money. Mm. The hard decision is I'm going to mortgage my house, even though I have a wife and a kid, in order to achieve this dream that may or may not work. That's the hard decision. Yeah. So life, I think really when you look back on life when you're 90 years old, it's – if you're lucky, a series of hard decisions that you made the most courageous choice you can make. That's good. And That's good knowledge. And the context for other people is it? I'm sure a by lot the way, of a yeah. And by the way, I'm not cheering like I love hard decisions. I fucking no, hate hard decisions. They're so hard. I do not want to make hard decisions. Please only give me easy <laughs> decisions. But when you're trying to achieve a dream, you will be faced with them, and that's the inconvenient truth people don't want to talk about. Right. And I think, I mean, a lot of people can resonate with the idea of having to let down their family or break out of the box of what their family has prescribed them to be. And, you know, your family, Persian Jewish immigrants, fled basically to give you a new life. So they're like, hey, Alex is going to be a doctor, and you're... You're our great hope, basically, yeah. or we gave up everything for you, and then to have to let those people down. And it wasn't just your mom. So your grandma, who seems to be one of your biggest lifelong mentors, and the 
do you want to talk about the promise that you made her and how that all shook out? Yeah, and you know, right before we get into my grandma, well, it's related to my grandma and to my mom. And you sort of touched on it. And it's something that I'm sort of obsessed with right now, just trying to understand. I actually talked to this amazing psychologist, and she was telling me about this process that gives a word to everything we're talking about, and it's called individualization. Mm. It's, you know, the process of individualizing. And, you know, I'm talking to her, and she's, you know, brilliant. She's been in the industry for 40 years. She's just a master. She's telling me about individualizing, and she's like, you know, at the core of the process of becoming an individual is an act of betrayal. And I remember, like, sitting back in my chair, Uh like, (gasps) No. Right. Like, you know, <laughs> this is recently. I talked to her this past year. I'm like, no, and of course, my grandma and my mom came to my mind. And Perfect. of course, like, all my guilt came up. And I was like, but you don't have to. You, you don't have to, right? And she's like, by definition, you cannot be an individual unless you betray the values you grew up with. Mm-hmm. And I was like, I hate being an individual. But this is the thing. This is the thing. And, you know, this gets to the heart of it that, you know, I see so many people, you know, you know, I've been on book tour the past six months and I talk to so many people who have a dream. What's so hard for people to come to terms with, and it was so hard for me to come to terms with, because in many ways I was sort of the first reader of this book too, even though I'm the author, I was sure. sort of the first reader, I was living it. Yeah. There's this fear that if you go against the status quo, whether that's the status quo of your family, of your company, of your school, of your friend group, if you go against that status quo and you, you know, quote unquote, betray the value system, you'll be ostracized, never talked to, die alone. Straight you know, up. that's that's where the mind goes. It's straight up, it's programmed. You're, right, you were meant to feel that way. Don't get kicked out of the tribe. Correct. Right. Right. You, right. Because I'll die yeah you're not conscious of it i was not sitting there when my grandma's crying like i'm gonna die no sure that's actually why it's such a strong fear yeah no doubt because you have no idea what's on the other side of your grandma's betrayal Mm -hmm. and thankfully you know not thankfully but i've done this a few times now (laughs) and what i've learned is that when you're 90 years old and you're looking back on your life Sure, you're not going to be happy about the moments where people you love cried or were hurt at all. But my biggest fear was being 90 and saying, I blew this, mm-hmm. this whole life thing. I blew it. I was living for someone else. Right. And I was willing to, and not willing happily, but I was. Although I was terrified of you know hurting my grandma, I was even more terrified of ruining my own life mm-hmm. and resenting my family forever. And I was just taking. Thankfully, I had mentors who had gone through this. You know, mentors are the best thing because you know I like video games. It's sort of like making friends with someone who's like beat in the game fifty times and like can tell you like, okay, this is that cheat code. This is where the coins are hidden you there. You Ninja Gaiden. Yeah, right. This is where Bowser's are <laughs> hiding. Right. So yeah. it's like. And I had a mentor who's like, look, my mom said the same thing. She said, she'll never talk to me again if I drop out of college. Give them three months. Right. They all got over it. And I sort of had to like jump off this cliff assuming my mentor was right. Of course he was right. My mom like cried for a couple months. 
said she'll never forgive me. And then the next week, she's like, you know, telling all her friends that I like got a book deal and she couldn't be more proud of me. So Guaranteed. it's like, but this is, but this is the thing too. When you're starting out, it's so fucking scary. It's all or nothing. Dude, it's so look. Forget about when you're starting out. It's still fucking scary. Right. But when it's your first time doing it, there's just it's hard to put into words. There's no win for you the, yet. Right. The amount of fear, the amount of trepidation mm-hmm. that comes from the uncertainty of stepping out on your own. Mm-hmm. Mentorship seemed to play like a really huge role in your mission and in your journey. You know. Honestly, starting with your friend group, which they seem really amazing, which we should talk about, Elliot, and then later writing the book with Cal Fusman and all that stuff. Have have you taken on that role as a mentor yourself since you've kind of popped out? I mean, from the process of inception to writing the book was probably seven or eight years. It was a long yeah, time. Yeah, exactly. Seven, Do you seven have years people? of writing the book, but it's really been now eight years since... Since, Since the very started. beginning. Okay. Do you have people that you've taken under your wing and experienced the other side of that? Hmm. You know, what's been really cool about, for the, you know, for the most part, I've been on book tour, right? And in a different city every day. But what's really fun, although there hasn't been like, you know, one person that I'm, you know, like the way Elliot just took me under his wing mm. and took me around the world and changed my life. What's been really cool about the book is it sort of like planted little seeds of mentorship all around the world in places I wouldn't have even known. And then you go on these book tour events and every now and then you'll meet someone who's my favorite compliment is when I see someone's book look like it went through world war three. Like, you know, every page is underlined. The cover looks like it got in a fight with a lawnmower. You know, that's my highest compliment. Yeah. And you know, if I'm at an event and I see someone with that kind of cover, I'm going straight to that person because I want to hear what they've been through. And those are the people who I love to, you know, I'll give them my cell phone number. I'll give them my email address. And I'm like, I'm with you. I'm rooting for you. They've just, yeah, they're relating with you hard in some way, deeply. Yeah, look, the difference between, you know, there's like different kinds of authors, right? There's people like Malcolm Gladwell or J.K. Rowling who are just, they are masters of the written word, you know? Right. And they just they just write because they need to. Their hand just does it, you know? And then there's other people. There's like people like Tim Ferriss who are sort of like master teachers. You know, I, I hate to use the word guru, but he's really a, a master teacher. Mm-hmm. He loves to synthesize information and teach it. Right. I'm like this weird third option of like, I just wanted to read a book like this. Okay. And I went and I went through dozens and dozens of books and there wasn't a book that focused on on this. When people were just starting out, when no one would take their calls, no one would take their meetings, how did they find a way to launch their careers? How did Bill Gates sell his first piece of software out of his dorm room when nobody knew his name? How did Spielberg become the youngest director in Hollywood history without a single hit under his belt? This was the book I was dreaming of reading. Mm. So in many ways, and you know, you guys read the book, you yeah. know, I start out not knowing shit. And the whole <laughs> book is the journey of me trying to figure it all out. Right. And you guys get to come along on that journey. And that's the fun part of the book. Right. I, I love how it was just such an, such an innocent beginning. And you're like, I'm going to write this book for sure. And for sure, the hardest thing is just going to be getting the money to make <laughs> this happen. Right. And tell that story because I think, I think it contains some powerful things. The price is right. What's the deal? 
So, how do you fund a book? One dollar, Bob. Great, exactly. Every, everyone can plug this in. <laughs> Use this for your life. Right. So, you know, and we talked about it a little bit. This whole journey started when I was 18, right? I'm a freshman in college. And, you know, the context is important because the only, you know, the only reason I was going through this, what I want to do with my life crisis. And the reason it was weighing on me so heavily is because I'm the, like you said, the son of Jewish immigrants, mm-hmm. which pretty much means I came out of the womb. My mom cradled me in her arms. And then she stamped MD on my ass and sent me on my way. And, you know, you think it's funny. You're laughing. But, <laughs> no, it's real. I, but yeah. It's real, man. I, I wore scrubs to school for Halloween in third grade. Mm-hmm. I, in high school, took, you know, the biology classes, studied for the SATs. I even went to pre-med summer camp. So by the time I'm in college... I'm the pre-med of pre-meds, and very quickly I remember lying on that dorm room bed, looking at the stack of biology books, feeling like they're dementors sucking the life out of me. And at first I assumed, you know, maybe I'm just being lazy, but very quickly began to wonder, maybe I'm not on my path. Mm-hmm. Maybe I'm on a path that somebody placed me on and I'm just rolling down. So now not only do I not know what I want to do with my life, I have no idea how all these people who I looked up to, how they did it. Right. And, you know, we talked about this. You know, this was the book that I was just hoping to read. I go to the library. I go on Amazon. I'm ripping through books, and I can't find it. And that's when I think, if no one's reading the book I'm dreaming of reading, why not write it myself? Right. And like you said, I thought it would take three months. That I thought would be the easy part. Just call up Bill Gates, interview him, yeah, interview everybody chill. else. Right. No big Quick deal. Text. Right. That's the, the beauty. <laughs> yeah, the beauty of being 18. Right. Um. The hard part I figured was getting the money. You know, I was buried in student loan debt. Mm -hmm. I was all out of bar mitzvah cash. So there had to be a way to make some quick money. So two nights before final exams, I'm in the library doing what everyone's doing in the library right before finals. I'm on Facebook. (laughs) (laughs) And, you know, I'm on Facebook and I see someone offering free tickets to the Price is Right. And my first thought was, what if I go on this show and win some money, you know, to fund this book? You know, not my brightest moment. Plus, I had a problem. I'd never seen a full episode of the show before. I'd seen, you know, bits and pieces when I was home from, sick from school in fourth grade. I love that you wrote that you calculated the percentage that you would win out of all the people in the audience. It's like 0.3% chance Correct. or something yeah. stupid like, like that. 0.003 or yeah. something like <laughs> preposterous. You know, and I, it was very quick. Anyone with half a brain would know this is the stupidest idea in the world. You have final exams in two days. You've never seen a full episode of the show before. You know, don't even think about it. Um, but I don't know if you guys have had one of these moments where an idea just keeps clawing itself back mm-hmm. into your mind. Can't, can't get it out. Something's up. I think that's where our business came from. Yeah, I was going to say, <laughs> right? you, you go with cool? your gut. Like, all these great moments in life is when you have a hundred reasons not to do it, but for some reason, this idea is being like, really fucking annoying. And, yeah, you know, we, it's clawing at you. Yeah, you're like, like, your we stomach's like, warm, something's up. You're like, I can't get away from this feeling. Because we had no money. We had no savings. We had decent but not great. Like everything that no, you we normally need to have a business. You're just like, family. you're like, yeah, I don't know how this is going to work, but sure, let's just do it and we're going to figure it out. And it's scary and it's weird, but you can't leave it alone. Yeah, because there's, there's this little thing. person inside your head that's like fucking beating at your skull. As like, much as We're you try to this. leave it alone, yeah, right? you're like. Eh. So this is the thing. I was in that position, so I literally wanted to prove to myself how bad of an idea this is, so I could go back to studying. Mm-hmm. So I open up my spiral notebook. I'm in the library, you know, the small little wooden table in the corner of the library. 
And I remember very vividly writing, you know, best and worst case scenarios at the top of the sheet of paper. And it was like, you know, worst case scenarios, fail finals, get kicked out of pre-med, lose financial aid. Mom stops talking to me. Now, mom kills me. You know, there's like <laughs> 20 cons. And the only pro was maybe, maybe want enough money to fund this dream. Mm-hmm. And it was as if somebody had tied a rope around my gut and was slowly pulling in a direction. So that night, I decided to do the logical thing and pull an all-nighter to study, but I didn't study for finals. I said how to hack the prices right. And, you know, I went on the show the next day and did this ridiculous strategy. And I ended up winning the whole showcase showdown, winning a sailboat, selling the sailboat, and that's how I funded the book. There's a few things tucked into that, which I find really amazing. So where when you're studying how to hack the prices right, you find the normal stuff. Like, oh, there's a producer, and his assistant's got a little notepad that, you know, he winks, she writes your name down, and then you discover there's another undercover assistant producer. You're putting on this show. You end up making it through. And then even during the finals, like when you're in the showcase showdown, you have no idea what the fuck is happening. And you're crowdsourcing information from people <laughs> in real time, literally yelling at the audience, what do you think this is worth? What, 30, 30,000, 29, no, 30, 31, no, 30. Okay, cool. I'm going with 30. And that's bananas. Is there, and this scenario repeats itself over several times in the book so in my mind it's the same basic thing to where when you hack the shareholder meeting for warren buffett you show up and you're like cool people get to ask buffett questions how does it work and instead of putting your question in the hat question in the hat like everybody else you go and talk to the people that are gathering questions hey how does this work move on to the next one how does this work how does this work was there anything earlier in your life that was a clue to where Mm. you had this skill of just being able to figure out weird, crazy situations. Hmm. The problem solver. Oh, that's a good question. You know, you mentioned Cal Fussman earlier, one of my yeah. you know, mentors who the book is dedicated to my mom and my dad and to Cal. And Cal, you know, is one of the greatest interviewers alive. You know, Esquire Magazine's What I've Learned column. Um, he has this great quote that he always says. He says, the best questions make the person you asked just as curious for the answer. And when you asked that, I was like, oh, I'm curious. I don't know what the answer is. Yeah, baby. The strong overall answer is yes. Like, we could probably spend five hours where I'm telling you every... I have a joke with my friends saying that I won't actually write this book, but the joke is, like, one day I want to write a book saying everything I learned about life I learned in high school... I then in parentheses, but just not in class. We're like, I was just that guy who was like always getting into trouble, always being sent to the principal's office because I was doing these like hijinks where Mm -hmm. in high school it sent you to the principal's office, but in real life you were winning the prices right and hacking Buffett's shareholders meeting. Right. (laughs) I, well, one, I think By the way, you guys saying right in unison was the most (laughs) beautiful thing I've seen. We spend a decent amount of time together. We're brothers from another mother. It's chill just for years. Uh, you should write that book. I think that would be phenomenal, only because I want to read it, and I'm sure you would want to read it, well, too. Well, the other thing is this. there We talk about this all the time. There needs to be more people able to speak into younger people's lives because we were not mentored as much or if at all in a way where we believe we could have just been as successful as we are. And yeah, sure, everything happens in the right time occasionally. And we're in our place now and we're moving forward. But there's this thing. I'm like, I'm thinking back to you sitting there at 18 and maybe you're full of fear. Maybe you're full of whatever. You're sitting there and you're like, 
but you're able at 18 to disregard all that fear and still move in this direction where like I grew up in a, in this little private school, I was a poor kid, clean the rooms, blah, blah, blah. All my friends were going to be law, dental, medical. So similar, like totally. They're all like, I can't believe you're not this going out through high school. What are you going to do? And I'm like, sure. I don't know. I'm the weird ADHD kid who like makes it through class just to play sports because I don't have anything else to do here. And same thing. So like, there needs to be more people who are encouraging others to be their best selves. And your best self in this case was a pretty fucking wild journey. You took, you had some sort of something in your gut saying, it's probably worth it to do this and put all this stuff on the line that everybody considers safe, right. And obviously monetarily beneficial, you know, like what there's gotta be, just talk a little bit more for the people who don't know you. Like, like we've been, we've been knowing you like what, what was that process like for you? Obviously, it was hard, but there's something in you that is driving you that is like, did you, did you set off going like, okay, I'm going to learn from these people and that's it? You know, like all of a sudden you've got this career path. You know, like what was happening? There's so much going on in the brain of an 18-year-old. Just kind of break, you know, <laughs> like so, break that down a little so bit. What's so funny is I... My joke answer is actually an honest answer too. The first joke answer was I was procrastinating. Sure. But this is, I, I say that as a joke, but also if you actually look at all the moments, and you guys have read the book, so you know, you know, I hacked the prices right two nights before finals. Right. Also, when Elliot first says, you know, come meet me at so and so. Right. Finals account- day. Yeah. It was the day before an accounting final. Right. And then there was one more. Oh, there was another thing that actually didn't make it. There was another giant thing that was during. Oh, there was also, um, yeah, there's a whole nother thing that happened during final exams. The only reason I bring it up is, and again, I am, I wrote a book, you know, Bill Gates and Mark Zuckerberg did very crazy things. But during my research, I found out there's something that Bill Gates and Mark Zuckerberg have in common that no one's ever talked about before. And it drives me crazy that no one's caught this pattern before, but it's that, Facebook and Microsoft were both started the week before final exams. Really? Interesting. There's a period at Harvard, but a lot of universities have this called like reading period. Mm. At USC, it's called study week, which is pretty much classes end one week, and then you have a week to be in the library right, right. before finals, and then the exams start a week later. Yeah. Facebook and Microsoft started when they should have been studying for finals. And it makes me ask myself, and makes me ask other people, you have your job, whether it's you're a barista, whether you're a student, whether mm-hmm. you work at a corporation, you have your job. What are you actually doing when like your boss isn't around looking over your shoulder? Are you posting fitness videos on Instagram? Are you, you know, reading self-help books? Like that's probably a bigger clue to who you are than anything else. And I was, you know, reading the four hour work week and I was, Mm -hmm. you know, watching Gary Vaynerchuk videos in my dorm room while I was, quote unquote, a Mm pre-med. So you were being inspired on the side as well, pretty deeply. Yeah. Mark Zuckerberg, you know, was, I think he was pre-med or pre-dent or something like that at Harvard. But every night he was just like. I, he was creating face mash and he was blogging, talking yeah. shit about people, writing code, drinking beers, Bill Gates. Microsoft was not the first company he had started. He was like sneaking into computer labs and none of these things happen really by accident. Mm-hmm. They only seem by accident. Cause at the time you're not really self-aware of what you're doing and it's only clear in hindsight. 
Yeah. What advice do you have for the, for the kids on the come up though, who might be sitting at that place, right? And they're going to have to fight their whole family to go chase that dream. And, and I know I said that because we have a lot of amazing, such talented individuals and we're two people who talk to them about pursuing these things on their own as well. But like hearing it from somebody other than us has got to be powerful. So what, yeah, what kind of advice do you have for people? Oh, I was just going to double down and say, that's such a good question. And I, I almost feel a little bit of a sense of guilt because there are people who work for us and work with us that are amazingly talented in their niches. Like you say, what are you doing on your spare time? What, what's like filling you with all this energy and enthusiasm? And what I want to do, my default advice to them is just go chase that. You know, whether you still work for us or not, it doesn't even matter. Right. And it almost makes me feel bad because I'm like the number one advocate for people dropping out of school because I had a really crappy experience in school. And I could, something similar to you or I was in school for much longer doing God knows what. I had no idea what was going on. And I, I, I think that's one of the reasons the book hit me so hard is because I was like, Alex had the courage to do what I was way too scared right. to do, which is why this piece of advice is, I feel, is super important. Yeah, and I think something that's super important is to also ground this question in reality in the sense of a lot of people, I would say the vast majority in my opinion, can't just take a crazy risk for very valid reasons. They're working two jobs and their mom is sick and doing chemo treatments and they can't afford to go off and chase Bill Gates for two years or... You know, they can't go off, you know, like Zuckerberg did and, you know, take a semester off and move to Silicon Valley and see what happens. So that's the first thing. I think a lot of people, especially in the the business self-help space, are like, you know, go achieve your dream. Anything's possible. It's like, yes, that's true. Anything is possible. It's also hard as fuck for most people. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think a lot of people, myself included in the beginning, didn't come to appreciate just how just how hard it is in the circumstances. And even, even, do you know what's funny? Even if, let's say that example I gave, you know, your mom has cancer and right. chemo treatments, you're working two jobs. Even if you're in that position, that's not even the worst position. What's even harder is people who grew up, you know, let's say being emotionally or physically abused and, you know, they have trouble trusting adults mm-hmm. and they have... Uh, trouble speaking their mind because they're afraid of being, you know, there's so many layers to what allows someone to go out and quote unquote chase their dream. Right. Um, that I took for granted. Mm -hmm. So you got Um, emotional stuff in there for sure. Emotional trauma. You got trauma, 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 so much stuff. Yeah. Let's say just for the sake of answering the question, you have those things, you know, somewhat handled. Sure. Like everyone has childhood trauma. I have my own fair share, but let's say you have that on and you can actually figure it out. You're healthy enough to get through that. Right. Yeah. So, right. Let's, so let's, that was, our, that was a very long, disclaimer. that we was a very this, yeah. long disclaimer. It's a real disclaimer. It's legit. Right? Yeah. Um, I just think it's an important disclaimer because I think so many times people will answer a question like this without that context. And it just, to most people, the answer is irrelevant. Right. Or even insensitive, too. Because and, and you're totally right. Right. You're right. There's a lot more at play. It's not as simple. But I mean... Right. And then just to ground the question on another level, I think there's some people who will look at people like you or people in that self-help space, self-help space that we're talking about and be, okay, cool. 
I'm going to leave everything I'm doing to chase this like crazy, monumental, seemingly impossible goal. But for some people, their truth or their happiness is much, I don't like to use the word smaller, but you know, maybe someone's just trying to be an artist. Maybe their truth is being an artist and they don't need to hop on a jet to Europe and go have these fantastical journeys. And that's something else I want to throw in the mix too, because yeah. in with this genre becoming more and more popular, I see people more and more reaching for that and feeling like if you don't attain that, Private you're not... Private jet porn. And right. Yeah, exactly. It's like you're Drives not living your truth yeah. and I don't buy into that First shit all, at all. First of all, jets are dope. <laughs> But like, I don't. Yeah, think they fly. Like, Fuck yeah. Yeah, sick. it's cool. First like, I would love one if so, I would love one if someone gave me one. But also, like, I don't think that needs to be your life dream. But whatever, to some to each their own. Anyways, yeah. that's, <laughs> that's not our success story over here. But but yet, I have no jet. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Now that we've grounded the question, let's okay. go back. So grounded. Well, so <laughs> let's go back to give it to me again. Like, what's the okay? Simple. Simply put. What's the advice for that 18 to 21 year old who's like got a gut feeling, but is overcome by fear and might never go there? I know that's simple, Great. but it is, that's the overarching Great. question. What's your advice for them? I would, say you two, did I would say two things. One, that's a big picture thing. One, that's a more actionable strategic thing. Go. Uh, let's start with a strategic thing. Start doing it as quietly and simply as possible. Mm-hmm. I think everyone's like, I have an app idea. Should I drop out of school? I'm like, calm down, you know, calm down. Just start working on it. Mm-hmm. Like, y- I I've been in college, I've been in high school. You know, to get A's or B's or even C's, but even A's or B's, you have to work really hard. But you still have some time. Most people use that time to work out or go to a party or, or watch sleep TV. or watch TV. Just use your spare time. You have some spare time. People think that's not spare time. Like, but Yo, that's people just... are like, I'm out of time. I go to school, and then I have to do the other things I have to do. I'm like, okay, the other things you have to do are not things you have to do. You don't have to binge watch House of Cards. You don't have to, right? No, yeah. Anyways, if you really love it, just start working on it. And that's the cool thing about whether it's coffee or writing a book. It's when you really love something, that's more fun than Netflix, that you get flow state. In right, it's, it's just more right. fun. Yeah. Dude, working on the book was my idea. I said, you know, procrastinating. Right. There was school, and then there was fun time. That, to me, just so happened oh. to be the book. Right. So what ended up happening, you know, with me was that's how I made it work. Right. It was just this small secret side project I was working on until it just started, like, picking up steam, picking up steam, picking up steam, and I still didn't leave college. Okay. It just, I think, you know, whenever somebody says, like, should I drop out of college to achieve my dream? I'm like, try to achieve that dream while in college or while you have that job. Just keep pushing it until literally your boss is like, look, you either stop working on it or you're fired. Then now you have to make the decision. That's good advice, though. Right? right? No, but it's good advice. And you, you talk about that in the book in terms of those fantastical stories to where Correct. you were ready to leave college, too. And Elliot's like, hey, look into it a little bit more. And you start digging with people like Bill Gates and Mark Zuckerberg. And everybody seems to think that they're just like, all right, fuck this. I'm done. Correct. And it didn't really go down that, like that's that. That's just much more romantic and fun to watch in a movie. It's the stories you hear. Yeah. Correct. But... You know, my biggest advice, again, for that 18-year-old, whether it's 18-year-old or a 60-year-old, someone who has an idea and they want to get it going, 
I'm a firm believer that the most successful people on earth did not take idiotic risks. Mm. You know, they just did the, they took risks only when push came to shove. Mm -hmm. And even when they did take those risks, they tried to take the safest path possible, but without compromising their dream. Yeah. So that's the strategic thing. That would be the first thing I would say. I would say just start working on it. Yeah. Little steps to a big goal. Correct. Yeah. It doesn't have to be black and white. I'm either working on my app or I'm never going to think about it. I'm all in, bro. Yeah. Right. Are you a multifaceted person or not? Apparently not. Right. If that's the case. Right. All right. So that's the thing. That's the strategic yep. answer that I would just tell anybody who wants to do anything. Yeah. Um, if you're a lawyer and you want to be an, a writer, great. Be your lawyer by day and like write a page every night when you go home with a glass of wine and just like see where it goes. Mm -hmm. You don't have to quit your law firm. So that's the strategic thing. The bigger picture emotional answer, which I think is really at the core of the question, has to do with fear. Right. And when I started my journey, you know, something you have to know about me is that if you talk to my sisters, they would tell you I was the most scared kid you would ever meet. You know, I had a nightlight on until I was 12 years old. I never watch scary movies. I still don't. I still don't watch scary <laughs> movies, too. I think they're the weirdest. Anyone who likes scary movies, I don't, yeah. That's with not you, my dude. Thing. Different story. <laughs> Why do you want to be scared? Right. Yes. <laughs> I, don't I don't get know. It. I would not pay someone to give me a nightmare. I would pay to not have nightmares. Respect. <laughs> anyway, right there. It's so real. <laughs> it's like a bumper sticker. I would it's pay amazing. you to take away my nightmares. Please. Anyways, so I was very scared growing up. And even when I started the journey, just com completely terrified, completely terrified the whole way through, which made me very naturally curious to understand how these people were able to achieve such incredible dreams and achievements and overcome their fear. You know, how did Bill Gates become so fearless? How did Elon Musk become so fearless? Mm -hmm. Because if they weren't fearless, how else would they have been able to achieve all this? And what I found out during my interviews every single time without exception is not only was every single one of these people scared in the beginning, they were completely terrified the whole way through. Mm. And what I learned is that it wasn't fearlessness they achieved. It was courage. And while the words sound similar, the difference is critical. You know, this is the biggest thing I could tell any aspiring entrepreneur, any aspiring artist. And it's that fearlessness is jumping off of a cliff and not thinking about it. You know, that's idiotic in my opinion. If someone tells me they're fearless, you know, I want nothing to do with them. Courage, on the other hand, is acknowledging your fear, analyzing the consequences, and then deciding you care so much about it, you're still going to take one thoughtful step forward anyway. Mm -hmm. What is going through your mind when you're doing those things? You're, you're kind of like the master of making the ask in... You know, whether it's yelling at Larry. I, I definitely wasn't that way with Warren Buffett. <laughs> well, okay. That, you learned a lot The one there. that got away. But what I mean is when in these really, really intense situations, whether it's yelling at Larry King in a parking lot or being at brunch with all these amazing people, knowing you have a final and you're like, I'm just going to sack up and call the dean right now. That was and some crazy shit. Tell, the, through, tell the dean exactly what's going on. Hey, I'm in a room with this person, this person, this person all these crazy people. Yeah. This is the craziest like, opportunity of my life. And you end up getting advice. So what is propelling you? What, what are you thinking when you're thinking about that stuff? You know, the, hmm. there's something so, and you guys can probably relate to this. There's something 
extraordinarily powerful. You know, I'll talk to people who, let's say they work in the sales department at a big company and they'll be like, how are you, you know, just like you said, how are you able to like do that, you know, final push it that final 10% and, you know, chase Larry King through the grocery store or, you know, do these like really scary asks. They're like, I keep working on it, but for some reason I can't, when I'm trying to make these sales, I can't push it that final 5%, final 10%. And then uh, whenever someone asks me a question, I normally respond with more questions. Like I ask them questions Hmm. and what I've started to figure out. And again, this is not across the board. It's just what I've been noticing is that as they do care about their job, it's not their end all be all life purpose. Mm -hmm. Now that's very hard to say everything in your life has to be your life purpose, but I'll guarantee you here. Perfect example. Ready? This is not my example. I heard Tony Robbins say this years ago, so I'm taking zero credit for this and, He's a genius for coming up with this analogy. He said, if I gave you 50 bucks to run into a burning building with, you know, no protection, run into the burning building, go to the middle, like run to the end, come back. Would you do it? You would be hard pressed to find someone. Even 50 bucks would not do it. You know, even if someone really needs the money, it's a burning building. The whole thing's on fire. Yeah. He said, now, what if I gave you no money? Told you your daughter is at the end of the building. And you go. And you go. Right. Hopefully, if you're a good parent. Yeah. No, but and you, I go. But yeah. if you go. So yeah. w- the point is that everyone is always wondering, how do you run into a burning building? What's the technique? What's the mm. strategy to go around the flames? What's the way to optimize your morning so when you run into that building, you can do it the most efficient way possible? How about <laughs> you do something that you care so much about that it doesn't matter? Right. That it doesn't matter how you do it. You're just going to do it because you care so much about it. And I think that's the core. All right. Philosophical question then just with that. Do you think people are made to do certain things then? You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Jeff, now I'm just like quoting all these. I know. Jeff Bezos has a great answer for that. And what he says is that, and I just like it. He said it and I was like, I like that. He says, and this is a very mystical answer. Sure. Yeah. I I mean, it can be. It's philosophical. It's a philosophical question with a philosophical philosophical answer. Jeff Bezos says, uh, your passions choose you. I don't know if you guys are Harry Potter fans. Yeah. Right? The the wand wand chooses the the wizard. Yeah, totally. Jeff Bezos says, like, the passion chooses the person. Mm -hmm. Jeff is like, I don't know why I'm so obsessed with outer space. Right. I don't know why. I just am, and I'm not fighting it. And I think that's I don't know why I'm so obsessed with, like, going on this quest and learning these lessons and sharing with people and wanting to, you know, inspire possibility. Why does that make me so happy? Why does... Like, someone can't pay me enough. Well, they can pay me. <laughs> but, you know, for the most part. Right. I just love this. I worked, you know, I worked on this book as scrappy as I possibly could. Some, You know, living in, you know, my grandma's spare bedroom. Living, you know, just frugally as much as I could to make this dream a reality. Yeah. And... It's because I really fucking loved it. The adventure, the learning. Like, what are some of those? Yeah. What are some of those things that you just love so much about it? That is oh, just there's like so many. That's a great question. So I have a lot of, and I've thought about this. Yeah, there's a lot of aspects about this book that, in hindsight, I can see are like all my passions in one. Okay. 
this is so fun to be able to share. This is like therapy. So <laughs> we're here for we're your here, job. Yeah. <laughs> Random Couches stuff. Over there. This is in no particular order. This is just off the top of my head. Um, it's just fun to be able to share this. Yeah. Number one, I don't know if you guys watched the show 24 growing up. Jack Bauer. Pretty much he's like the secret agent that like saves the world in 24 hours. Every time. Every time, right? <laughs> Jack Bauer saves the world. Um, when I was a kid, you know, I think like 10 or 12 or 13, like that was my favorite show of all time. And like I used to like walk around. I didn't have a big house, but there was like this tiny little hallway that connected like the bedrooms to the living room. Yeah. And I used to like jump in the hallway with like my hand like as a I'm gun. There, dude. Like and just like pretending like I'm stopping bad guys and stuff and like being a detective. And I even though I like thought I was gonna be a doctor, I was like, oh, I wish I was like a detective doctor, you know, or a doctor that like, you know, put together mysteries. Half of this book, if you read the book, again, I didn't know it in hindsight. It's a fucking mystery novel. It's like, here's Warren Buffett. How am I, as an 18-year-old, going to do this? Yeah. Right? That is so interesting. So that's one part. There's like some like, and I know I sound, I sound like such an idiot probably to people saying I like, think I so. want to be Jack Bauer. But that's again, real. it was a fun thing. Yeah. This is how you know your passions. You When you're growing up, you see things and you say, I like that. I like that. I like that. Yeah. I, it's It's... I don't know if you're familiar with Simon Sinek and his whole uh-huh. like find your find your why process, but it, it's basically just that to where you gather stories or times that felt impactful to you in your life. And and his view is that your why or your purpose is developed at a relatively young age. Mm-hmm. And the process that he goes through is that you go with a partner. So like say you were my partner, I would gather all these stories. And I would basically tell you these stories. And your job would be to ask me questions about the stories. Because sometimes I'm so close to my own stories that I can't see what's going on in them. But you, being a little more detached, can find that golden thread that runs through the whole thing. And I'm wondering if someone would have you know, done this with you and all these little really cool moments of your life that would have been like, you really like to figure shit out right like, and going on adventures like you, right you mm-hmm. like you like the adventure you're you're like the i don't know the silicon valley james bond something <laughs> like that i appreciate <laughs> that man thank you man that's the business that's, bond that, that's a big compliment and you know when i was i remember even when i was five years old when we would take like family road trips you know we would all pack into the car my mom and dad would drive us you know somewhere we thought was very far and exotic they would probably drive like two hours away or something For sure um, but to, you know, as a kid growing up, that was a big trip. And, you know, we would stay in a hotel a couple nights. And I remember the first thing I would always do is I'll tell my parents, like, be right back. And I would go scope out the lay of the land and, like, call. And I, what would I call it? I remember I had, like, a funny code word for it. Um, I was, like, what I was really doing was, like, reconnaissance. But, like, <laughs> as a five-year-old, what did I call it? I said, oh, oh, explore time. Yeah. Right. Yeah. While my mom and dad were checking into the hotel, you know, it takes like 10 minutes, you know, back in the 90s to like check yeah. into the hotel and like you get the fax machine and all that oh, stuff. Oh, yeah. Sign the things. Like, right. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. So like in those 10 minutes, I would just like run around like, OK, that's where the pool is. That's where this. Is. And like I that was like my favorite part of a vacation was going somewhere where I didn't know where we were and like figuring it all and coming back to my sister and be like, guys, so there's a slide in the pool. There's a this here. There's a that there. <laughs> like that was that was me at like five years old. I would make my parents watch the video. I take the video camera and do that same thing. And they would right. dr- drive them crazy. They'd be like, right. I they try to watch, but they almost throw up, right? Because I'm just like, right. yeah, same thing. You loved that. Right. So I loved doing that. And then I have a friend, and his name is Andrew Horn, and um, he's actually going to write a book about this that's going to come out in a bit. 
But, you know, he's told me some of his core ideas of it, and he's amazing. Again, his name is Andrew Horn, and, and he gives a lot of talks on this. Um, you can go on YouTube and watch them. He says that a good, quick way of finding someone's life purpose, if they're like, I don't know my purpose, he has one question that literally gets to it every time. Andrew's a genius. Um, the question essentially is, and he says it better than I do, it's what was your biggest you know, pain point growing up? Like, mm-hmm. what did you suffer from? Um, and everyone has different things. Like, if you go ask someone who works in a, you know, battered women's shelter, many times it's because they were in that situation growing up or they were in that kind of relationship. Or for me, one of my biggest... Thankfully, I didn't, my childhood was relatively healthy for the most part. And, you know, now that I'm getting older and going to therapy, I'm starting to look back on it. But, but when I, the thing I was aware of was that I did not know I had any options. Mm-hmm. That's heavy. I did not know I had any options. I thought it was either sink or swim and, you know, become a doctor. And although that's not a bad situation, only now in hindsight can I see the reason I love the third door so much and why I haven't moved on to some other project now that the book's out and I just keep pushing this mission forward is because it is so cool to me and it so and also so fulfilling mm-hmm. to be able to go to people, whether it's college students or CEOs of major corporations, and show them what's possible. Because what's the biggest thing is I've learned on this journey is that when you change what someone believes is possible, you change what becomes possible. Mm-hmm. And what a, you know, and I say this seriously, it's an honor to be able to like, whether it's through the book or through speaking or through a podcast like this, be able to just through sharing stories with someone change the way they view their own life. When did you realize that that was the metamorphosis of the mission? Because that statement that you just made about changing what people believe is possible, that wasn't where you started. Was there an aha moment that woke you up? Or You're exactly right. Because in the beginning of this book, the beginning of the journey when I was 18, the idea was I'm going to go and interview all these people, and each chapter would be a Q&A with a different person. So it would be one chapter on Bill Gates, one chapter on Lady Gaga, one chapter on Larry King. That was the original premise. And it wasn't until the end of the book, you know, and when I mean end, I mean once it was written, so it's seven years, that I was able to look back that, first of all, the whole book direction took a 180 turn about halfway through from being a series of Q&As to being this journey, this narrative adventure. And, you know, in many ways, the original intention of the book succeeded. You know, I had this dream of packing in as much wisdom and tools as possible. And, you know, the book has Bill Gates' negotiating secrets and Tim Ferriss' cold email template, so it's there. But only once the book was done and I could read it for myself, you know, from a bird's eye view, could I see that the magic of this book and the soul of it was really possibility. And... I've come to understand that, you know, as much as I love tools and tactics and those kinds of pieces of wisdom, you can give someone all the tools and knowledge in the world and their life can still feel stuck. Mm -hmm. But if you change what someone believes is possible, they'll never be the same. And that's really 
at the soul of this book. Yeah. What did that feel like for you? I know it's a real ethereal question, but tapping into that that moment to to where you realized you'd created something a little bit more than what you intended to. Was there... Sometimes I feel like I'm searching for things. Like there's a lot of things that I'm I'm passionate about. And then every once in a while I'll have that feeling where something just feels perfect. And I think a lot of people have those feelings who are like, oh, man, I'm doing a lot of things that feel good, but I don't know when it's like really, really, really right. Because that passage verbatim, you know, you wrote in the book. Like, What were you thinking when you wrote that or came up with that? Um, so that line in particular, I think, is in the acknowledgments. Yes. And not only in the acknowledgments. First of all, dude, props to you, man, because that's like not only the acknowledgments, that's like the last page of the acknowledgments. So you were in it. I he wasn't joking. It's I, like, well, two times. I, I read the acknowledgments and I literally no bullshit cried, mm. cried for heavy shit. I mean, you talk about your dad, and it wasn't just it doesn't it wasn't just what your dad was dealing with and what you were you were dealing with and your whole family. It was something about the bond that you had built with everyone around you and you talk about his progression but then you talk about Elliot coming to visit the house and that moment when everyone's together and I'm just I it was fucking ridiculous I'm literally laying on my couch finishing the book and I got to the end of the book and I was like acknowledgments do I want to read it I'm like yeah the book was rad I'm gonna read the acknowledgments and I read that and I was fucking crying and my wife comes home mm. and she walks in the door and she sees me <laughs> on the couch and there's like she's like what's going on and I'm like I can't even talk right now. <laughs> wow. It was bananas. I I don't even know where Thank I was going you, with that. I didn't even let you answer that question, but <laughs> just so you know, I sobbed writing it. Um, sobbed editing it. The acknowledgments were probably the hardest part of the whole book to write. I mean, there was there was so much gold in there for me personally because it's it speaks to it speaks to family. It speaks to the not the end of the journey, but almost like the awakening of what the journey really is and mm. what the mission really means. And it, it just felt like a really really huge release. And I you know I don't dude I don't know your family like I have no idea what's going on. But like when I'm thinking about that in my head, I I like to think of your dad but like also your mom and everybody being like like realizing like wow like just being super proud of you and having mm -hmm. an amazing moment with you and your mentor and i'm like gushing right now so i'm just gonna shut up because i feel <laughs> no <laughs> like i'm really dude, throwing it here i'm really like laying it on the table it. but i yeah it, it's and dude, there's the thing it just means a lot to me because you know of course compliments are nice in general but this is dude i like poured my heart into that um and it's probably the most personal thing to me, so I appreciate it more it, than I can say. It really shows. It it super shows. And then just a tangent on that, or not tangent on that, but there there is something that's totally unrelated that I'm I'm really curious about, which is your friend group that's been with you since the beginning of mm -hmm. the story. And when you guys got together, because like you said, you were basically, okay, school sucks. What would we build if we could build our own dream university? And you're calling all your friends and everyone's mm -hmm. lined up in a circle. And like, you know, Warren Buffett would teach us finance. Like Bill Gates is going to teach us tech. How do you end up with friends like that? That's a, I never had friends like that when I was your age. 
so these, what's cool about life, if you're lucky, is, you know, first you have the friends who you just like randomly, I don't know, in preschool or kindergarten, you're just like randomly sitting next to. And then as, because it starts off small, right? Your parents just sort of like plop you down and you sort of like look around and like the person who like doesn't pick on you as your friend, right? <laughs> the, the person who's not the bully is your friend. That's mm-hmm. sort of how you pick friends growing up, at least for me. You know, the nice person is your friend. Um, you know, you have a class of like 30 kids. You choose the one that feels the most similar to you. But, you know, your sample size is like 30. Yeah. And then as you keep growing, you know, and then there's like, you know, elementary school, then middle school, and then high school. I went to a high school that was like, I guess, medium size. It was like 2,000 kids. Um, I think each grade had like 600 kids. So that was the first time where I was able to be like, oh, there's like more than just 30 people to choose from, you know? And what's funny is I just used the word choose from, and it reminded me of the ending of the book of the whole, the, you know, I'm, the thesis uh, of the book is choice, right? Right. Um, the friends I chose, and I love them, and they're, you know, so much of the essence of what made this possible. I, every single one of them, I can tell you a different time where I made a conscious choice of, like, that's someone who I want to be friends with. And... You're giving me this weird... Ugh. You're just giving me this weird revelation. Okay, so I'm a, right, da- I'm a dad of two me, girls, right? Me. So I grew up... I was hearing your high school thing. I went to a school with 200-plus kids. Not, like, total, high school. And I'm sitting here going, like, that is such a revelation to me. Like, if we keep... First of all, you have to be a good parent in some way. And maybe you have some great insights as a human being that led you to be able to make good decisions on who you want to be with. But like my daughters need to be able to be around a lot of people in order to make their best connections to be able to be supported in the right way with their friend and peer group is just a really interesting revelation that I just had hearing you talk about that. You chose your friends as you grew and if you accidentally, inadvertently, as my parents did, throw me in these little tiny private schools in a similar way, fear, keeping you safe, keeping you in this bubble, I felt like I've been held back my whole life in a number of ways, some because of little things like that, some because people just didn't believe in me at all, didn't mentor me. But like your little mini note there of you started to get with the bigger groups of people and knowing who was right for you and best for you is actually so much bigger than it might sound when you just say it in passing. And so that's just for me, I know it's such a small thing, but I'm a parent and I have these decisions to make to help my kids get somewhere. And some of the stuff from this book and we've talked about is already like mentally preparing me for like, okay, I have to prepare for my daughters who I love more than anything to want to leave me and go far away. And I'm happy that I'm getting there far ahead of my parents so they don't hold them back. But at the same time, even what you just said then is like another step of that. It's like, that's a big decision to think about. Do I send them to a small little school or do I do my very best and then trust them to be their best in a place where they could fully fuck yeah. up. Now look too, you know, if it's a, I, I would choose a good, good small school versus like a rough rider. I'm, you know, I'm big a good school. dad. I'm with you I'm <laughs> with yeah. your caveats, but that's still really right. important for people to think about. Well, I think, right. And then by the way, college, you have an even bigger sample size. Yeah. 2000 for me. Right. Another private ass college. Right. I'm Not almost, I'm thinking just listening to everything here is, one thing is the sample size. Sure, the more people you're around, the more people you have to choose from. But there's something about recognizing that you actually have a choice yeah. and being intentional right, about right. the people that you bring into your life. Because I would bet 
that if even if you were in a smaller high school and there was 500 people instead of 2,000, there's something in your DNA that would mm. have led you to gravitate towards people who had similar mindsets as right. you and were, were really ready to go get it. Yes and no. Yes and no. Yes and no in the sense of, first of all, thank you. Um, <laughs> but for the most part, it was, for what I can see, pretty selfish. I'm in high school. I was sort of awkward, like didn't know how to make friends. And then there was this like guy, his name was like Kevin, and he's like jumping through the hallways, like cheering for people and high-fiving everyone. And like everyone just like loved him. And I'm like, this is the nicest guy I know. Like not even know. This is the nicest guy in the school. Like everyone's so happy around him. How do I be like that? And I just like sat next to him in class and like said like, hi. Like, (laughs) you know, like awkwardly like, and then we started, like, becoming friends over the course of a year. Then we mm-hmm. slowly became, like, best friends. And, like, there was another guy, I remember, in, like, seventh grade. His name is Ryan. So these are the guys in the book, right? Yeah. Kevin, yeah. Mm-hmm. you know, in the book. And then Ryan, the numbers guy. Ryan and I in seventh grade. Um, so he's the one who I met first. Ryan in seventh grade. We were in, like, a science class. And the teacher's like, all right, everyone choose a partner who's going to be your partner for all uh, class projects throughout the year. And this is, like, the first day of school. And I'm, like, looking around the class, like, oh, my God, my grade is probably going to depend on this, like, decision. What am I going to do? And I just, like, I remember looking around for the, for someone who I was, like, all right, I need someone smart but calm. Like, because I don't want to, like, deal with, like, I got bullied a lot growing up. Uh-huh. So, like, I wanted someone nice and someone smart. And I looked around and, like, I knew a lot of the kids in the school. So I was, like, okay. And then there was this one guy who was new and who seemed really nice. He was, like, in the corner, like, not talking to anybody. And I was, like you seem really, I told him, I'm like, you seem really nice. I don't know you. Are you smart? Like, you know, I'm like, I'm like 12 years old. I'm like an idiot. I'm like, are you smart? And he's like, yeah, 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 yeah. That's okay when you're 12. He thought about it. He's like, uh, yeah. And my old school is pretty smart. And I was like, he's like, he's like the sweetest guy. And I'm like, great. Do you want to be partners? And we became like partners and we became best friends. And he's still one of my best friends. And even at 12, I guess I was making somewhat thoughtful decisions of like, what do I want in my life? Because I grew up, you know, in this immigrant family where between me and my sisters, you know, the house was a very tight-knit situation. By tight-knit, that's a nice way of saying, like, we were, like, on top of each other. Like, it was, like, one... I remember, you know, we grew up with, like, there was, like, one bathroom in the house. So there's like, a line in the shower every morning and a lot of yelling in the house. And you're just, like in everyone's space. There was no boundaries, doors wouldn't lock, you know, or fights over the remote control every night. Like that kind of, you know, oh, yeah. small environment growing up. And then our escape was being able to spend time with our cousins, which was like 20 people, but still very insular, tight-knit. My grandma had the saying growing up, like, what for you need friends when you have cousins? <laughs> <laughs> and like, it's funny, but also like, it's a little you know, yeah. questionable. Um, so school and like sort of like middle school and high school was my first time of like sort of being a little thoughtful of like, I want people who are nice mm-hmm. and I want people who are like not going to make fun of me and people who are going to, you know, who are, sm- who, are who have things that I like, like traits I admire. Like mm-hmm. Kevin is so sociable. Ryan was so smart, you know? Everyone had their own, like my friend Jojo is so musically talented, like all these things that I admired in them. Um, 
so again, I wasn't like strategically thinking who's going to be my best friends. I was just like, I like that guy. There's mm-hmm. a level of there's a level of awareness to it, and I, I maybe it's so fascinating. Not to conscious awareness, but not there's like conscious a sub- awareness, but so, yeah. It, it's sort of like look when you go to a buffet and you're like, I'm in the mood for a pizza, or like, I I, I was in the mood for nice people, <laughs> right? <laughs> I, and this is weird to even think about. And I'm, we can go deeper into why I was in the mood for nice people. That was a whole other thing. Well, it's I mean it's a selfish question on my end because I remember being in school when I grew up. I was terribly introverted. I was scared shitless to talk to anybody. You know, you talk about the difference between uh, like fear and courage. I had fear and no courage. And I remember times when I would be in school and lunch would go. The lunch bell would ring and I would get out of class and I would eat my food by myself and I would walk around the playground for a half hour same. alone. Really, really and I, same. Yeah. And I was like, dang. Okay, cool. And I never knew that I could even approach people. It never, it never popped into my head that I could, oh, Maybe Jared will be my friend. Like I'll I'll go say hi to this person. I would look at other people and immediately be, nope, they don't want to talk to me. Because if they wanted to talk to me, they would probably already be talking to me. And I, it, for whatever reason, it never occurred to me that I could go talk to them, and they're probably not going to punch me. I'm with and you. I can kind of choose my own path. And the people that you have around you are super important. So. It was kind of lonely, which we had a similar Dude, I experience. I feel that, man. I, feel, mm-hmm. I had the same thing. And by the way, when I'm talking about like choosing these friends, this was coming late into high school, too. It was, I'm like 16 and 17 at these moments. So I'm like, you know, I'm not yeah, you're going there. a little kid. Yeah. Um, but we're really, where I really started to see the choice, you know, college, I made a few friends there, like Corwin and Brandon in the book that you met. I met them in college. But then it wasn't until I met Elliot Bisno. So the cool thing is, all right, so you have, you know, the people you grew up with in your hometown. And then if you're lucky enough to go to college, you have the people at your university. But then you have the Internet. Yeah. And you can choose anyone. (laughs) And, like, it's, like, really cool. Because, like, then, like, if you like, you know, emo rap, dude, there are a ton of blogs and Reddit sub pages and like for that shit. There, if you like, you know, libertarian politics, dude, there's a club, there's a Reddit right. sub page. You know, there's just like the internet is like the ultimate world. What's sort of creepy about it is you don't really know who's on the other end of it. Yeah. But you can like read articles. Podcasts have changed the game. You know, if I was in college, I probably today in 2019, I probably would be obsessed with podcasts because that's a way to. I was in college right when YouTube was taking off. Mm -hmm. So that was sort of my way to see the world. You know, I couldn't go to a Gary Vaynerchuk video. I mean, Kino, but I could watch his videos. And I was like, oh, it was sort of like I became friends with this guy. Yeah. And like I would watch Tim Ferriss videos and it felt like I was spending time with him. Mm -hmm. Podcasts are even more personal because there's so many of them and they're like right in your ear. And... The cool thing is when you almost want to transcend it and you start reaching out to people like through DMs or cold emails. And with Elliot Bisno, like you guys know, that changed everything for me. Mm-hmm. And, you know, with Elliot, so, you know, as you know, he's like one of my best friends now. We sort of, Elliot's wife makes fun of us that we were like the lost boys, you know. Santa Cruz represent. Right? <laughs> we were just like the lost boys who like found each other, like the lone wolves who just, because uh-huh. Elliot had a very, very similar background than what you and I were discussing in the sense of like 
not many friends growing up, sort of like eclectic hobbies, right? Sort of socially awkward, but we like sort of found each other as adults, and it feels really good. That's huge. When you found Elliot, it opened up this door to all kinds of other things, but it still wasn't a shoe in So well into the book, you told the story about how you're supposed to meet up with Mark Zuckerberg, and you had emailed with him, and, oh, come backstage, I'm talking at this thing. You forwarded that email to the people at the conference, and they're like, this email is fucking fake, dude. This is forged. Like, what's the deal? And it comes up a couple times that you ask Elliot about it more than once, and you're like, I thought I was at my tipping point. And he's like, you idiot, there's no tipping point. I told you this. It's little... It's, it's little steps. What does it feel like to be so far into the game with so many connections and still getting your face smashed to the ground or getting kicked out by security? Yeah, dude, I thought the book coming out would be my tipping point. You know? <laughs> it's, like, it's so funny that like life will, you'll just keep getting the same lesson mm-hmm. until you come to accept it. And it's just one of, it's so fascinating. I was talking with, um, someone who's, you know, very close, you know, the husband of a very, very famous pop star. And he was talking about how even she, you know, you still have to, you know, fight in those meetings. And I was like, are you kidding? This is like one of the most famous people on earth. I was like, seriously, he's like, dude, you would be surprised. Maybe that's good for people to know. Yeah, and, you know, there's this misconception that I'm very susceptible to, that if you do X, Y, Z, if your book becomes a bestseller, if you if your podcast reaches a million listeners, like, if you do this, this right. arbitrary threshold we create in our minds, all of a sudden, life becomes really easy. Mm-hmm. And the reality of it is, if your dream is big enough, if your dream is something that's so exciting that it's worthwhile to pursue, it might get a little easier, but if it becomes radically easy all at once, that's probably because you're slipping, you know, or because you're, you know, you're sort of coasting at that point, which is not bad. I'm not saying it's bad. Right. But if you're climbing a mountain, it's never really going to be a cakewalk. That kind of dovetails into just a question kind of perfectly for me that I wanted to ask. And it's, we're essentially saying, quote unquote, right? There is no like end to the success, right? However, you are a success. You've got this book. You've done these things. Like you read through the stories in the book and most people will be like, that's a miracle. 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 They're 20, right, they're right to think that. So yeah, no, yeah right? Agree. So like, I mean, what's it like for you to sit back and reflect and be like, okay, you've got this juxtaposition of like, I'm never going to like hit this pinnacle of some sort, right? It's always going to be hard. But then like, I do think there's something to, to, that we need to accept in ourselves and and that people need to Mm, acknowledge. And it's like, you are successful. You are, you have like, what's that, what's that like for you? Do you take the time to sit there and be like, this is amazing. Like, what is that process for you? I don't want to plan anything. What's that process for you? Cause I know you're pretty much hitting on the head my current emotional state. I'm I'm dead serious. You just hit it on the head, my current emotional state, which is a constant balance. Um, You can call it a balance. You can call it a tension. You can call it juxtaposition, whatever you want to call it, where on the one hand, I'm still, you know, fighting the good fight, trying to take the third door mission and, you know, share it, with the people who want it most as far and wide as possible, which 
you know, I'm young, I'm 26. There's still a lot of road to be covered. Mm -hmm. Um, There's still people who, you know, aren't as gung-ho as you guys are, which is why I love you guys. You guys get it. You know, there's still people that, you know, the mission still continues on the one hand. I'm still, you know, it's still little steps and pushing and Mm -hmm. grinding. On the other hand, my dream came true. Right. And, like, that's the dopest shit, you know? For real, I'm, like, not being... I'll tell you something very personal, actually. I was... This is maybe a couple months after the book came out. I was with a friend. Uh, his name is Max. We were walking... Uh, I was in New York for a book tour stop, and we had dinner one night, and he was asking me, he's like, where are you emotionally? And I was sort of explaining to him this, this whole, like, you know, tension. And I'm like, but dude, at the end of the day, if a doctor was calling me, it was like, are you Alex Benign? And I'm like, yes. And he's like, well, we just saw these test results, and you have, you know, three days to live. I'll, you know, I'll probably be shocked for the first, like, you know, hour. But then the fact that I, at this point in my life, can die gratefully and fulfilled. And that I feel like I achieved, what you know, my biggest dream and helped people that I'll never even be able to meet. Dude, I know how rare that feeling is. And Mm. I know how lucky I am to even be in that position. Um, And I think that, and that I have a mom and sisters and best friends and family that would like be there as I take my final. It's like, yes, the grind and the adventure is like its own, you know, thing. But nothing's as big as that. Mm -hmm. Um you know, my dad passing away two years ago changed my perspective on life. And it showed me how big. At the end of the day, it's not like, how many times did you get rejected by Warren Buffett's assistant? Like, that doesn't matter when you're, you know, on your deathbed. Mm-hmm. Thanks Dude, for the chills. I, I think, yeah, I think the book is a gift. And I think it's a journey that's just going to keep on giving. And I feel like the third door is opening maybe a new journey for you that I'm really excited to mm-hmm. watch because just talking to you, I know that there's, there's, there's more going on in there and I can't wait to see what the next 10 years. Yeah, brings, baby, my man. Thank Seriously. you. Thank you guys. So Thank you so much. much for coming on. Yeah. That's awesome. The cat and cloud coffee podcast is brought to you by Wilbur Curtis. They make coffee brewers. Ever heard of them? If you haven't, you should. They're an awesome family owned company. They're here in California. They power their facility with solar power, which I hear that's like a new hot thing that progressive people do. The best thing about Curtis, in my humble opinion, is the turnaround time on the Brewers. They have a 24-hour turnaround. It's phenomenal. If you've ever ordered a Brewer for a wholesale client from someone else and waited and waited and waited for it to come in, you know how frustrating that is. So being able to get the Brewer next day like that is absolutely amazing. Shout out to you, Wilbur Curtis. Their customer service is phenomenal. And they just care. They care about you. They care about me. And I care about them. And that's why Cat Cloud Podcast is brought to you by Wilbur Curtis.